This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kamaregal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging, and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be listening. Hi, my name's Luan and this is the Rewritten Mead podcast, where I talk all things breast reconstruction after a mastectomy. Because let's say it like it is, having a mastectomy can be devastating. Sifting through all the information is overwhelming, the medical jargon's bamboozling, and it can be just plain scary and lonely. But you're not alone. That's why we're here. On the Rewritten Me pod, I talk to leading surgeons about all aspects of reconstruction. Nipples, belly buttons, foobs, Dieppe flap, and staying flat. I also talk to healthcare professionals who can help with everyday practical advice to support your mental, physical and emotional well-being. And I talk to the wonderful women from our reconstruction community who so generously share their stories with you. We're all here to help you make an holistic, informed decision that's right for you so that you can have a say in how you rewrite your story. Hi and welcome back to Rewritten Me to an episode that I always knew I wanted to record in this first series and one that I'm so very excited about. In our advocacy community, connecting, supporting and collaborating with others is one of our strengths and community is absolutely my vibe because we can learn from each other and increase awareness of breast reconstruction options so that people can make an informed choice about what's right for them and we can learn from people wherever they are. And that's why I'm so very grateful to be chatting to Terry Cootie today from DFC Foundation. I found Terry after my plastic surgeon in Australia recommended that I look to America for information about Dieppe reconstruction. Terry and the resources she had developed for the foundation, a not-for-profit she set up, had such a positive impact on my recon experience. And I know she's helped countless other women over the years. Terry is the original patient advocate for breast recon. She's hugely respected in our recon community, and I could fangirl about her all day, but let's get chatting and bring her in. Hi there, Terry. Hi, Luann. So good to see you. Thank you for having me on your Rewritten Me podcast. I'm excited about this. Oh, me too. Thank you so much for joining us, and um, I'm so pleased that I can introduce you to any Australian listeners who may not have met you or heard about you before. Yeah. You're over in the States, aren't you? Just to, to give a shout out to that. I am. I, I am living and I work out of Seattle, Washington, which is in the north, far northwest corner of the United States. Um, we have traveled around a bit in my life, but we're settled now in this great state of Washington. I call it. It's beautiful here. Uh, but yes, that's where I am located and work in Seattle, Washington. Ah, and it's the uh, the early afternoon there for you, is it now? It's morning here in Australia? It is. It's three o'clock in the afternoon, close to it. Um, we have a lovely day today. You brought some sunshine, uh, Luann. We've had some gray, cloudy, rainy days, but it is full on sunshine right now and a really beautiful afternoon um, here in what we call the Pacific Northwest. Beautiful. I'm glad we could bring some sunshine for you. Before we start to talk about your advocacy work, I wondered if we could talk a little bit about what brought you to be a patient advocate 
um, about your history of um, reconstruction? Wow, that that's such a good question, Luann. I have to say, my reconstruction took me by complete surprise. It really did. When I stop and think about it, because this was after a second diagnosis. I had had breast cancer in 2002. I had what now is called oncoplastic surgery, where they took out the lump, did a lumpectomy, moved tissue around. So really my breast looked pretty good. You know, if I raised the left arm up, which is where my tumor was, I could see a bit of a divot, divot, but full on and in my clothing, I had a lovely, what they now call oncoplastic uh, breast surgery. Well, fast forward to 2014 and I had a recurrence in that breast and I had a new primary in the other breast. And because it was a second diagnosis, because of the stage and grade of my tumor, which was not aggressive, but stage two, grade two, the best course of action for me was a mastectomy. My breast surgeon was amazing over here in the States, and she wanted to get some scans before she made the final decision to tell me that I had to have a double mastectomy. But this was the surprise for me. Thinking that I was going to live without my breast for the rest of my life, I went into her office that day thinking that. I thought, I'm going to lose my breast. I knew nothing about reconstruction. Zero. But I walked in there that day, and because she was so well-connected and because she was such a powerful proponent of shared decision-making, which I knew nothing about at the time either, she told me the very day that she said, yes, the scans came back. Yes, we're going to have to do a double mastectomy, but I want you to know that you can rebuild your breast either using implants or using your own tissue. There's something called deep flap. Well, I was surprised. And I have to say, the day that I walked into her office, I was angry. And she knew it. I had seen her in the past for another non-cancerous tumor. And she knew I was angry that day. Not at her, but because I had breast cancer again. But I left her office that day with such a sense of hope, Luann. And that was the surprise for me because I had no clue that I was going to be in her office talking about breast reconstruction. And thankfully, she gave me all my options. She told me about implants and she told me about using your own tissue. But she did emphasize the use of my tummy because. You know, she had already seen my body habitus. Uh, She was aware of deep flap. There are other types of autologous tissue, but that was and still is called the gold standard 
in breast reconstruction because the tummy tissue most mimics the breast tissue. So that was my experience from the very beginning with breast reconstruction. Now, when did my advocacy start? Unbeknownst to me, I think it started at my second diagnosis soon after she told me about breast reconstruction, but also I I had some hiccups in my care. Everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, many people have an experience that doesn't go exactly how they think it's going to go. I had that experience. I don't hold any grudges against my oncologist. She was two years in. She, I believe to this day, did her best for me. However, I was thrown into a metastatic stage and it's because they didn't have some prior films. That's just the very condensed version of it. But I think that very difficult event led me straight into my advocacy because I had to face her one-on-one, not in an angry way, because I knew that anger with your surgeon isn't going to get you anywhere. Anger with your oncologist is not going to get you anywhere. So I took a deep breath. I took 24 to 36 hours off of any contact with my oncologist. I sat with my husband, we crunched the numbers, and I went in and talked to her in a professional manner. And to this day, when I think back on that moment, when I had to sit in front of her, I think that was the turning point, and I realized that I had to speak up for other women. I didn't want any other woman to have to go through what I had just gone through. Yeah. And she was very receptive and very open. Um, I just saw her recently and was able to give her a hug. Um, So I guess my message is this. Advocacy involves thoughtfulness. It involves sometimes having a bad experience and reevaluating, reassessing, understanding science, understanding research, and trusting your decision. Yeah. And being able to talk to your healthcare team in a professional and open manner, but in also in an honest manner. I think that was really what catapulted me into advocacy were those two or three months of my second diagnosis and everything that I went through. So a lot, a lot there feeding into prompting you into this advocacy work, but I love how you talk about um, you know, it doesn't always go right or how we hope it would go with some of the decisions that are made or our relationships with our health professionals. But yeah, the anger doesn't necessarily transfer it or pre- present it to them, doesn't necessarily work for you, but it can be 
used to motivate you in other ways, can't it, to do other things, which sounds like it was one of those catalysts for your advocacy work where you didn't want anyone else to be treated or to have the same experience that, that you had. Yeah, that's a really good word to use is it did motivate me. And I'm glad. I'm so glad it did. I think I'm so comfortable in this space, Luann, and I'm I'm um I'm glad that any experiences that I had, another diagnosis, you know, good or bad diagnoses, whatever it was, I'm glad I had all of those experiences and I had the support and internal fortitude to keep going and um eventually you know open my foundation because of it yeah it's really interesting terry because i know we've spoken quite a few times in the past i've been on your podcast we we talk on instagram facebook and also catch up every now and again um just to you know shoot the breeze (laughs) but i didn't realize about that experience initially and I find it really interesting because it's a bit similar to what happened with me when I um, I was called back from my mammogram and I had some um, core biopsies done and an ultrasound done. And um, despite not knowing the results of those pathologies, because I just had those taken, I actually had a breast um, surgeon or a surgeon tell me that I would need a mastectomy when they could not have known at that time they were using new ultrasound imaging and unfortunately the surgeon didn't know how to read the imaging and they didn't have the pathology but I find this really interesting that um, as you said when you went into your appointment with your breast surgeon hearing about those reconstruction options gave you hope and it was very similar to me I'd been told by the surgeon that I needed a mastectomy but there was no further conversation with that I left that office just being told I had a mastectomy and I had no idea about reconstruction And then I spent all this time before I then went to see a specialist breast surgeon who then told me that, yes, you would need a mastectomy. And they absolutely knew because they had the pathology by then. But then she then went on to tell me what my reconstruction options could be. Mm. But during that time when I was in this limbo of not knowing about these options, it was one of the most awful times ever. And I would never, like you say, I would never want that for anyone else. And it is one of those the time I actually had to advocate for myself and say, hang on a second, this was said to me in this other appointment. And, you know, apologies were made by um, counsellors that really that shouldn't have happened. But no anger towards that breast surgeon, just like, okay, I don't want that to happen to anybody else. Yeah, I that's interesting, Luann. But, you know, I, I do enjoy chatting with you. We do have long chats about a lot of things. Um, what I appreciate you just saying, I think what we have to realize, surgeons, oncologists, pathologists, they all deal with science. They all deal with research. And in as much as we want to think that is foolproof, it's not. And they're human as well. And as long as we can keep the lines of communication open, the lines of concern open as patients, that's when I feel like we can move forward. Yeah, Nothing's going to change if the lines of communication don't stay open. And don't you feel, Luann, too, that taking a step back for a day or two helped you? It helped me kind of 
calm down, gather my thoughts, and really plan on what I was going to say to them without just a quick phone call. And I can't believe this just happened, you know, going into it straight with anger. I think having the time to think about it and calm down is helpful. And I bring that advice to this conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think because you said that keeping the communication open, but also I think when you were saying earlier is about how you handle that communication and the way I communicated back my experience from the other surgeon wasn't, you know, that had passed some time. It wasn't in anger. It was like, I'd just like to give you some feedback about what was said to me mm-hmm. and it upset me. And this is the reason that it upset me. But yeah, it's still in that, you know, the respectful, I call it respectfully challenging with questioning or curiously questioning it's still within the framework of that professional relationship of communication but letting people know that yeah this happens but it's hard isn't it if you don't have that space and sometimes it's very emotive isn't it for us but it does help to take the deep breath whether it's outside of the office before you walk in um but I think it's understandable as well to have that emotion but it's yeah it's good advice that Terry thank you Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't say I've always had the calmest demeanor, but I think we, I I think that it's, you know, I think we have to try. And I do think that's the best method. If that's a message I send out today. Uh, and, you know, to be honest, we all have different personalities. We all deal with these things differently. So all we can do is share what we feel works best. And mm through our experience, we know that it it worked best. And so hopefully our message gets out to some people too, that they can just, you know, take that, that breath and take the time and prepare for what that open conversation is going to be. Yeah. And I, and sometimes I think as well, if I've had an experience, that has been in an appointment and if I've not felt confident to advocate for myself or maybe not felt that I'm calm enough sometimes I've come away and it's actually been an email that I've sent once I've sort of calmed down and I might even write out a ranty email but I don't send it I then edit it and then send it afterwards but it's still advocating and giving feedback but it's taken the kind of heat out of it I like that a hundred percent that's a good action item to take (laughs) yeah just write it and don't send it for now (laughs) There you go. So, Terry, you mentioned there as well, um, setting up DFC Foundation or Deep Sea Foundation, as it's pronounced um, over in the States. When did that happen for you? Well, that was a moment in time. I actually just recently wrote a blog about that. I got a phone call one day from my surgeon, Dr. Crisopolo, who you know and are aware of. He and and uh, Dr. Joe Desseldorp have done advocacy with us on many degrees, and we're so grateful for that. I picked up my phone, and I'm like, why is he calling me? I'm done with my surgery. I, I did have one, one other uh, small surgery with him, but for the most part, I was done. I'm like, why, why is he calling me? Well, I, after I had my surgery in December of 2014, I was, I was in my master's program for teacher leadership. So I've been an educator all my life. It's, it's a focus and very 
passionate part of my life. I believe that there's great a great amount of of uh, uh, power in in education on any level. So I began writing a blog soon after my reconstruction in December of 2014. And then I started connecting on social media because I wanted my blog to be read. I knew nothing about social media. I knew nothing about blogging. It was baptism by fire as the, as the saying goes. So I, I learned a great deal just kind of falling on my face that first year and writing my blog. But in December of 2015, there was a law passed in the United States uh, called the Breast Cancer Patient Education Act. And the law basically states that um, it, it was an add-on. I'm not real good with uh, you know legislative and legal terms, but it was an add-on to another bill. But it was it was very important because it, it was BCPEA, the Breast Cancer Patient Education Act. And so basically what it says is that states were going to begin to provide education on breast reconstruction. Because, you know, statistically, Luann, you and I are both doing this for a reason because not everybody knows about breast reconstruction still to this day. And so that was, that was a pretty big deal. Well, you know, the folks that were instrumental in passing this, which is the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, they had a great deal to do with working on this and having it uh, passed. They had been reading my blog. They knew that I had had deep flap. And then there was a event that was going to happen with the federal government on fat grafting, the efficacy of fat grafting. And I got invited to attend that fat grafting as a patient representative to talk about the efficacy of fat grafting. And Dr. C, my surgeon, Dr. Krasopolo, Dr. Minos Krasopolo, he'd been watching all this. He knew I was invited to go to Washington, D.C. to, you know, uh, be a patient advocate for this. And he called me up and he goes, Terry, I've, <laughs> I sound a bit self-serving, but I never forget his words because they, they had such impact to me. He said, Terry, I've never had a patient come out of the blocks like you have. You should really think about opening a nonprofit foundation. Well, I had been spending a year blogging and I felt like I was just getting a hold of blogging. So I was a bit taken back when he made that statement, but I took it to heart and I said, all right, I will think about it. I will think about it and give it big consideration. Well, as it turned out, the fat grafting session had to be postponed uh, because there was so much interest in it. They had to find a bigger space to do it. And instead of going in, I think it was like April, they pushed it to September of that year. So now I have some time to think more about a, starting a nonprofit because I, I promised him I would, keeping my promise. Well, then I sat with my oldest son. 
Because, Luann, you're such a beautiful writer. You know that writing about this can be a very cathartic experience. Writing about your breast cancer experience, whether you're whether you're utilizing it in a public forum and sharing it in a blog, or whether you have a personal journey, uh, you know, if you're writing it in a journal or a diary, writing it down is a cathartic experience for so many of us. So when I talked to my son, who's he's, he's always been in marketing, um, and I talked to him and I said, you know, this feels very odd to me to open a nonprofit because when you open a nonprofit, it's a business. You have to pay a multitude of things to run a nonprofit. So because of that, you have to ask for donations. You have to ask for revenue. That just felt like sullying what I started writing the blog for. But he made one comment that completely changed my mind. And he said to me, he said, you know, mom, there are people who don't want to do what you're doing. They have no interest in it, but they want to help you. And his comment was, mom, own your worth. I will never forget that statement because the phone call from Dr. C and that statement from my son was the catalyst for me. I went to a friend who was on a nonprofit board. She volunteered to help me. I took her coffee. We sat at her desk for long hours filling out what is required in the United States with the uh, government, it, the IRS, to fill out paperwork for a nonprofit. And within a span between the time Dr. C called me in February and early July, I got designation from the IRS because I was that determined to do it and because I had good help. So opened the nonprofit and I went to my first conference. I thought, how am I going to let people know I have a nonprofit? Well, in my mind, the best people to connect with, I already had connected with patients by opening a Facebook group. It wasn't very large at the time. And I had also been blogging. So I thought, what's the next step? To me, the next best step was to go to a medical conference. And the best medical conference for me to go to was to go to the ASPS or American Society of Plastic Surgeons Conference. And it was in LA. <laughs> I was a fish out of water, as the saying goes. I did not know about signing up for sessions. I did not know about the massive conference center it was held at catching Uber rides, getting back and forth to the conference center. I was like a little lost lamb. I can't even describe it any other way. But what the absolute beauty of that conference for me, Dr. C was there. He knew I was going and he started introducing me to other surgeons. So that kind of is the summation of the beginning of why I started it, how I started it, 
and jump-starting into the work I knew that needed to be done. So I started with conferences. And over the years, Luann, I've learned that the education that I was able to provide, I, I was so concerned during the pandemic. I I thought, is my is my foundation even going to survive? So look at you. I'm looking at you now. You're podcasting, my friend. Come on. (laughs) You know, we learn these things as we go on, right? So I really thought at the beginning of the pandemic, I thought I'm, my foundation's going to go under. So what do you do? You know, you get crafty. And I started a YouTube channel. I started to learn to podcast. You just do what you have to do. And it was a silver lining. It was a silver lining because now, you know, I have this cache of resources um, that I say is available 24-7 to uh, people who are affected by breast cancer. Whether you're, you know, a caregiver or a uh, one who's newly diagnosed one who's at high risk, you're a male breast cancer survivor, um, and even surgeons. I I like these uh, YouTube videos to be available to surgeons to hear what we're saying. These are not interviews. This is not me sitting in front of a camera. This is me sitting in front of a camera with board-certified surgeons from across the the globe. Uh, It's me sitting in front of the camera with patients who have had the lived experience. So, yeah, you know, that that has been the ongoing development uh, and, and learning of the nonprofit director, so to speak, I guess. That's, that's just amazing, Terry, where those little nudges that you had along the way to bring you to where you are now and the setting up of Deep Sea Foundation and all the amazing resources, which I am absolutely in awe of, evidence-based, informed, as you said, resources, board-certified uh, surgeons that are on there. And I'll, I'll come back in a second to unpack some of those more because I am absolutely in awe of what you have there. Um, but I just wanted to just talk a little bit about what your son said to you, which is own your worth. Because I find this really interesting as I've become a patient advocate as well, is that, you know, a lot of what we do, and you started off initially, and what what I do is voluntary work, you know, and all the work that we do um, is in different forms, but we still got to pay the bills, haven't we? And it's really interesting how that's viewed um, sometimes in some in some areas. Um, I don't have a not. I don't have a not for profit. I work as a freelance uh, freelancer and get commissioned to do other work, which then enables me to do my advocacy work independently. Like the podcast, it's all um, independently, yeah, produced. Yeah. But I just love that. That he's like own your own your worth. You've been doing this. We've been blogging about this. Nobody else is doing this. There is a need for this quite clearly, a need for that, and. Him and Dr. C, those little nudges bring into you to where you are and really realizing that, yeah, there is, as we can see, there is uh, the need for this. 
out there in the community and coming now down to your resources, not just in America, but you know, like I learned globally, your resources are available, as you said, to surgeons, um, to anybody and available 24 seven. And, you know, talking about silver linings, you know, the pandemic bringing the podcast, because I remember you launching the podcast. I was like, oh, wow. I was in awe that you, you know, you were so brave to do it because I find it a bit nerve wracking. Um, but you have ended up with such a rich library, if we want to call it, or of resources, haven't you? Yeah, I like to call it a library. I guess, you know, that goes back to my educational roots uh, as as, a, as an educator and instructor. I, I call it my, yeah, 24-7 library, 24-7 yeah. availability. Because, you know, as, as you and I know, Luann, we have to schedule our own chats and podcasts across our continents, uh, you know, with the different hours. But that's, I, I think that's what I like about it is to hear from patients around the globe. And truly, I mean, it, it keeps me challenged because what happens in Australia doesn't always happen in the U.S. What happens in Europe doesn't always happen in Australia or the U.S. So it's it's um, really, I think, kept me kind of on my toes to learn more and not to be afraid to reach out to surgeons and ask them, you know, to communicate with them. I think in the in the end, mm. I think in the end they appreciate it. Yeah, I agree. I I, I think they do because although they're as I said, your your resources are available worldwide. There are subtle differences, aren't there? Sometimes in and not always so subtle differences in different in different countries. And we need to be able to feel comfortable to ask those surgeons. That's part of the advocacy, isn't it? And at the end of the day, we're not the medical professionals, are we? <laughs> we haven't done all those many many years of of um, of study and training. And um, yeah, I see it as our role to ask those questions if we are unsure. Um, and sometimes I feel like I'm asking a silly question and it's, but it's never a silly question that I'm asking them. And I think they do, they do learn. I know, for instance, how we connected, you know, through social media and I connected through you to Joe Dusseldorf. And I think that was through an Instagram live that I watched. And one of the questions that I had for him in that live was about the Ken doll, <laughs> which is the, um, sometimes a side effect of a Dieppe reconstruction where the pubic, pubic mound can be a bit more, a yeah. bit more moundy. But it was really interesting that Joe will share that he wasn't really aware of that because it isn't something that they're trained, but it's coming from, in this instance, mm. me. But the fact is that, you know, surgeons can learn from patients, I think, if we give them that feedback. Oh, I think so too. I think it's an open discussion among two human beings. Um, and the end result, the end goal, I should say, not the end result, but the end goal is to improve patient outcomes. I can't think of, you know, the patient wants that, the patient advocate wants that, and the surgeon wants that ultimately. So the discussion always goes right back to improving patient outcomes and experiences. Yeah, yeah, and and it being a dialogue, an open dialogue. Um, we talk a lot about it on the pod about 
it may be that what you're hoping for may not be um, doable or it may not be achievable by a surgeon, but be open with them and let them know things that are concerning you or things that are happening with you. Yeah, I mean, I think I think all of us connecting together helps us all to learn. I certainly, I learn something every day, I feel like, at least every week. I would hope they do the same, you know, by this communication, by this open communication. Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, every podcast, you know, I'm learning all the time, even whether it's through the research that I need to do or chatting to surgeons or chatting to you. I learned so much um, from you. But yeah, I do think it is reciprocal. And I think we're really lucky that we work with people who are who are open to that too. Particularly, you know, everybody is so very, very busy. Um, I know especially the surgeons here at the moment that I talk to are absolutely you know, really full uh, lists that they're doing and very, very busy. I wanted to go back to the conference that you mentioned because I had my first conference experience last year. How was it? How was it? It was really interesting. As you say, it was overwhelming. Um, I think it's very, you know, they're very scientific, the one that I went to. So lots of it was very interesting. Lots of it was over my head. Um, but I think it's interesting to think about it as a somebody with a lived experience. Mm-hmm of breast cancer when you're attending those types of conferences because I think it's a different experience than it is for somebody who's going there for work as a medical professional and I just wondered how you found that I found it quite um emotionally exhausting in some respects yes it depends on what the conference is I think you went to a breast cancer conference correct yeah breast disease yeah yes So when it involves breast cancer, because I've been to both, I've been to surgical conferences and I've spoken at those. I have been to breast cancer conferences where there's just tons of sessions about all the latest developments in the disease and and the treatment of it. Those to me are the most exhausting because it, you get a little bit of PTSD, you get a little bit of, oh gosh, (laughs) When, when you hear about the disease again, I think you go straight back to recurrence. And there's always that fear with breast cancer patients. But also the beauty of going to a breast cancer conference is connecting with those who have gone through the lived experience. I, I can't even verbalize the richness of those contacts and communication with other advocates who have been in our space, Luann. I just, I can't even verbalize it. It's, it's such a beautiful connection. Now, the surgical conferences that I go to, which from my experience, uh, I am often one of the only patients there, uh, because I've chosen just to make it so. Um, currently, since you brought the topic up, I'm going to segue into this comment in terms of the United States. I don't know how it is in other countries, but there has been a bit of a paradigm shift, Luann over the years. And I see various conferences who over here in the States who are now 
welcoming patient advocates. Now, they're not all like that. I, I understand why. However, I'm going to keep trying to break those glass ceilings, as they say, and, and encourage, you know, conferences that don't perhaps have a robust advocacy program to think about it, to welcome advocates. We are their clientele. We are their customers. Um, this is a bit twofold in my mind. Just to say to anyone who's running a conference, hey, you really ought to think about having patient advocates here. Well, that opens a very wide door because I personally feel like if you're going to go to a conference, you better be, I sound a bit bossy here, but I feel strongly about this, Luann. It holds responsibility. You know, I, I know when I started early on, it was it was an odd thing to me to go to a conference. People were taking selfies, they're taking photos. I'm like, wow, this is cool, isn't it? Well, what they didn't realize is how much work is involved. Now I could care less about the selfies. I could care, you know, I've gotten over that part of it. I'm there to learn. So because of that, what I'm saying is this. If you think that you want to be a patient advocate, if you think you want to go to a conference, ask yourself, why are you going? If you're going for notoriety, if you're going just because you want to go have a nice dinner with a, you know, a sponsored event by, there's plenty of those there. That is not why you should be going to a conference. Their work like you said, they can be emotionally exhausting. There's travel involved. Uh. I mean, you are you are going sun up to sun sundown. I'm sure you can attest for this. You you just recently did this this year. You you're you're going nonstop. They're exhausting. You got to ask yourself, why am I even thinking I want to go to this conference? And over the years. I I have just really learned that with being at these conferences comes responsibility. You have to put yourself out there in a space where you should be engaging with conference attendees. And just because someone holds multiple degrees in surgery or you see them on social media and they're called a world-class microsurgeon, which they are, doesn't mean you can't go up and have a conversation with them. I mean, I'm just going to throw out a name here. I'm going to give you a perfect example. There's a gentleman over in Korea. This guy is like a rock star in microsurgery in more than just breast reconstruction. His name is J.P. Hong. I'm going to say his name because I think that much of him. I don't know him that well, but I'm giving everyone an example here. He is so well thought of, and yet he is one of the most humble, approachable men I have met at a conference. 
surgeons I've met at a conference. I've met plenty like that. I'm using my voice right now, Luann, to say to other patient advocates who think they might want to go to a conference, think they might want to present at a conference, don't be afraid to talk to these people. Just because they hold multiple degrees and and you see them on social media in such high regard. There's so many that I truly believe want to have a conversation with patient advocates. I really believe that. But don't just go in there, you know, be prepared, (laughs) do your homework, find out what sessions are they're having and do a little research yourself. Say, okay, they're going to present something on um, nerve preservation. Okay. I know there's papers about that. Read up on them. Find out who's giving the, the presentation. Find out what you know about them. Is there a possibility that you might have a five or 10 minute conversation with these people and let them know, thank you for talking about this. Is there anything I can do that, you know, would enrich your work? It takes work. Do your work. Don't go to a conference just because you think it's fun. I'm here to tell you there's plenty of fun involved, but 99% of it is work. I get back from those conferences. I'm exhausted. How'd you feel? That That's just my sage advice right now. I um I completely agree. They are absolutely exhausting. You know, some of the sessions might start, especially with breakfast or whatever, the brekkie it might be a 7.30 start and then you know especially first days will go on and then there'll be a little get together afterwards it could be like a get on for a 12-hour day so yeah they are exhausting and I think as you said do you know do your research and but as well as I think for me my advice would be as part of that research you don't have to go to every session like research what those sessions are and look at them and think well is that one like what is the purpose for me to go to that session because I think as well as uh as as the uh that will help you manage your kind of energy and, um, you know, the, and manage the overwhelm of information because it is very, very overwhelming. And yeah, definitely reach out to say hello um, and meet these people who are presenting. And, you know, if they're not open to it, they're op- not open to it and you're not, they're not your people. And that's okay. We can do that respectfully still. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because I find that there are many, you you would be quite surprised uh, at the openness that they have. And it's it's just like anywhere you go. You know, there's people you can talk so easily to, uh, and there's others you know that that's not going to work. So you just move on. Oh, yeah, thanks, Terry. But amazing advice from you about um, how you've managed and what you've learned from going to those those conferences. I've only been to a couple so far and I'm just finding my way as to how to best manage that. But I, the one that I went to recently, um, uh, I think was a couple of months ago now, it was the Clinical Oncology Society of Australia and they had a cancer survivorship conference, which I really, really um, got a lot from. And one of the things we were talking about there, which I think you alluded to a bit there, Terry, is something called... Um, lived experience led um, design and resources where really anything that's being created in relation to um, patients then patients people with a lived experience within that area whatever that may be need to be Mm -hmm. involved in the co-design of whatever whether it's a resource whether it's a you know 
a process um, so that uh, and at all levels, you know, and not just in engagement and sharing it once something's created, but actually in the design of it. And I think that was one of my most exciting things that's come out of a conference conference recently. But I'll ask if you've anything you want to add or um, what your hope for in this breast reconstruction advocacy space is. Boy, that's an open question. I, you know, Luann, I guess I just have to say this. Here I am speaking to you. You're in Australia. I'm in the U.S. I mean, what value, what beautiful value in this to be able to make this connection and how much I've learned from you, how much we've learned from each other. Um, just my advice is, is, is if you're, if you have this feeling of, of passion to do advocacy work, uh, don't close any doors, but I will also say, be realistic. There's a lot of advocates out there. You're not always going to gel with everyone. That's not being critical of them. That's not saying, well, I don't get along with them. Everybody, you know, we all drive when we get in the car and we're on the interstate. We all drive and stay in our own lane so we don't crash into each other. Be respectful of what others are doing and understand, you know, we don't all have to be speaking to each other all the time. I think the beauty of advocacy is the uniqueness of it. I think in the end, what we're all trying to do, as I've said in the past, is to make the patient experience better. That's what we're all driving for in the end. And um, yeah, that's my, that's my wrap up and my sage advice. Very, very sage advice. Um, because as patient advocates, we are bringing our own individual lived experience and perspectives to it, aren't we? And that guides or nudges us, like you had your little nudges as you arrived at where you are now. And there's a beauty in that, absolute beauty. Yeah, so grateful for those nudges. I love that. Thank you so much, Terry. Thank you. I'm, I could just, yeah, I could talk to you all, all, all day, but it'd be your all night. So we probably need to <laughs> wrap up for now. Um, such, um, I actually can't wait to listen back to this podcast and everything that you've said. I've been trying to take it in um, as much as I can as well, but I know I'm going to get so much out of from listening to it again. So thank you so much, Terry. Um, I really am grateful for you and for our friendship and for your mentoring as I've um, become a patient advocate. And before we finish off, though, as listeners will know, I ask guests to share a lyric, rather, or, or a line from a song or poem. And it can be anything that that's their favourite or something that relates to what we're talking today. Um, so, Terry, what would you like to share with listeners? You know, I love this little add-on that you're doing, and I'm glad that you ask me ahead of time because sharing something like this is very personal and it's very, you want to do something meaningful, right? So what I did is I pulled a book off of my shelf that 
I, you know, I gotta say, I think my husband gave this to me even before we got married, which I'm not going to give that number. Uh, I've been married a very long time. <laughs> very fortunate <laughs> about that. Um, so I have, I have no idea how long I've had this book, but it's called The Prophet by Khalil Gabran, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I think I like his work because of the beauty of his words. So Luann, today I have chosen from the prophet his words on speak to us of work. We're both doing similar work. And I just thought that would be a good one. Here we go. And what is it to work with love? It is to weave the cloth with threads drawn from your heart, even as if your beloved were here to wear that cloth. Work is love made visible. Oh, Terry, that's beautiful. Oh, that is. And so, yeah, absolutely so relates and aligns with what you're doing and and how you do it as well. I I see that in your work. Well, I chose it because I see it in our work. I see it in the work of advocates. Mm. Um, and it also speaks to the live experience too. So it does. It's beautiful. Thank you. And um, I wanted to share with you as well that I first heard of that poet when I visited America for the first time. And the first time I visited America was to go on a holiday and meet somebody over there who then became my husband. And he introduced me to that poet. <laughs> okay. More. <laughs> more synchronicity. More connectedness. Yeah, more synchronicity <laughs> with Luan. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I have goosebumps now. I, you know what, my friend? Uh, thank you for having me on your podcast today. Or your pod, as oh, you call it. Anytime. I, I've. I've been calling it pod to people now because I love you that you say pod. <laughs> oh, you know, we like to shorten everything over here. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining, Terry. It really is been an honor to chat to you. Um, yeah, can't thank you enough for all that you've done uh, with regards to advocacy work, but that helped me um, at the time that I needed it for my surgery, but has also helped nudge me as I've become an advocate. So thank you so much, my lovely. You're very welcome. And thank you to listeners. Um, if you want to know more about the work that Terry does with DFC Foundation, I will put some links in the episode notes so you can find all the amazing resources that are out there. As listeners know, Rewritten Me is an independent podcast that is patient designed, created and produced. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow, rate, review, subscribe and share. And as always, let me know if there's any topics you'd like me to cover in the future. But for now, that just leaves me to say bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Rewritten Me podcast, produced on the traditional lands of the Kamaray Gal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. If you found any of the content upsetting, please reach out and get help. Breast Cancer Network Australia have a free confidential helpline, 1800 500 258. And Beyond Blue have a range of free resources online at beyondblue.org.au, 
or you can call them on 1300 224 636. And a reminder that the information in this podcast does not constitute medical advice. For personalised medical advice, you should seek a consult with a FRAX qualified surgeon or an equally qualified surgeon in your country.